Who knows what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. And that's what Christmas is all about. Linus's reading of Luke's birth narrative is one of my favorites. Any, any Peanuts fans here tonight? It, it is easily one of my favorites. Actually, this year for our family, our, our matching Christmas pajamas, I, I thought it probably wouldn't be appropriate to show up in them tonight. Um, but our, our Peanuts PJs. So my kids fell asleep in Peanuts PJs tonight. I'm going to go home and put on my Peanuts PJs, and we're going to wake up in Peanuts, Peanuts PJs tomorrow. Most of us have heard this story plenty of times, but its familiarity shouldn't, shouldn't downplay the significance of it. In fact, every year when I retell this Christmas story, specifically with our, our preschoolers here at WPC, right here on the steps, I learned something new. Did you all know that there are alligators and, al- and elephants in the stable? According to the preschoolers, there were. There are elephants and and alligators and every other kind of animal there. Of course, I, I know that's not the case. But there's something about the wonder of the story, especially when we see it through the eyes of, of children. The joy of a three-year-old's imagination thinking through what it could have been like, what it, it maybe was like. And you just don't want to squash that joy. And the truth is, you really won't find any animals outside of the flocks of sheep mentioned in Jesus' birth story in the New Testament. You don't find them in the Gospels. The, The cattle and the donkey that we sing about are actually mentioned in Isaiah. Luke tells us some of the most important details about the incarnation. And when we say incarnation, what we really mean is, is God moving in to humankind's experience, God becoming man, being born in the manger. That's what we mean when we use that word incarnation, God entering our experience in the person of Jesus. And, and I want to invite us just for a few moments tonight to consider a, a few of the details that Luke unpacks for us. First, He reveals where it happens. Julianne, our our children and preschool director in the 430 service, she asked, where does it happen? This is where you respond. It's not a trick question. (laughs) Bethlehem. All right, it's time to wake up. I know it's later than when we're normally at church. Where does it happen? Bethlehem. There we go. 
Jesus was born to Mary in Bethlehem in the days of Caesar Augustus, while Quirinius was the governor of Syria. In Galatians, the Apostle Paul refers to this moment as saying, God sent his son born of a woman in the fullness of time. That there was a reason that it was specifically at this time and in this place. Now, over the years, philosophers and and religious thinkers have, have struggled with how specific Luke tries to get in this story. Believing that God reveals himself to humankind, uh, if at all, through universal truths, through universal principles, not through the birth of a, a marginal Jew living in a backwater province in, a Roman, in the Roman Empire in the first century. But the entire story of Christmas, what we're celebrating tonight, what we will celebrate tomorrow, it hinges on Jesus' first steps... The infant Jesus' first steps, fulfilling the long-standing promise that God made in the prophecy in Leviticus. I will walk among you. I will walk among you. I will be your God and you will be my people. Now after Luke gives the specific time and place of Jesus' birth, he reminds his his readers of the spiritual significance of it. He locates the importance of the birth in the grand narrative of all that exists, with the manger serving as the intersection between the heavenly and earthly realms. Think about it. It's highlighted by that the heavenly host, the, the angels showing up to bear witness to the incarnation, to point others toward Jesus, the spiritual significance of what was taking place. And after the historical significance and the, the spiritual significance of Jesus' birth, Luke, he gives this, uh, what, I, what I like to refer to it as the social significance of it. Not only is Jesus born in a manger, but the first group, the heavenly hosts, invite to come and visit him in the manger is, is a group of lowly shepherds. Now, while Jesus clearly came to earth for all people, we can't deny that God chose to dwell first among the least and the lost. His earthly ministry reminds us of that truth, how he spent his time, who he spent his time eating with, talking with, the least and the lost. The social location of Jesus' birth reminds us that when we read about who God's favor falls on first, Luke and the other gospel writers alike, they aren't too concerned with those who think they've earned some sort of access to God through a birthright or through other means of success. I read a great line about this reality while preparing for tonight. The grace of God sneaks into our world under the radar of religious expectations. One of the things that I love about Luke is that he includes details about this historical, spiritual, and and social significance around Jesus' birth. And it's, it's pretty straightforward. So straightforward that it was included in 1965 in the Peanuts. Simple enough to be recited by a boy with a blanket standing on a stage answering his friend's question. Now, those of you who are familiar with Peanuts, 
and specifically with, with Linus, you know that he always has that blanket with him. That he is always carrying that blanket. Throughout the entire Peanuts saga, he uses it for, for a neck scarf, for a quilt for Lucy's dolls, an, an insect swatter, a sports quote coat, a kite, a penguin, a parachute, a hammock, second base on a baseball field, a paper airplane. It's his security blanket. It goes with him absolutely everywhere that he goes. There's actually a comic, a comic strip from 1983 where, where he, he cures himself of his need to be connected to the security blanket only, only for a moment. And he, he's so proud that he's finally solved his, his issue, his need to be connected to this blanket, that he goes door to door to all of his friends to tell them, look, I'm cured. I don't need it anymore. Now, if you have a problem, if you have a problem with a blanket, come to me and let's talk about it. And he, he holds this whole, this whole clinic for whoever wants to show up with their blanket. And only one person shows up. Only one person shows up. Uh, it's, it's a child named Randolph who's wearing a mask who actually ends up being Sally, Charlie Brown's sister. Now, if you know anything about the Peanuts, Sally has a crush on Linus and it drives Linus nuts. So Linus is so scared that he runs back to get his blanket after solving his problem. But did you notice what happened as he told the Christmas story? He's holding the blanket, standing on the stage. Can you tell me what Christmas is all about? He he stands up, he begins to tell the story, and when he gets to fear not, he throws his blanket. He throws his blanket and he continues, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For years, there's been a, a conversation among pastors and theologians about how intentional Charles Schultz was with creating this moment. And I, I tend to think he was very, very intentional. On, on one hand, Christmas is completely complex. It's hard to grasp our minds or wrap our minds around things like the historical, spiritual, and social significance of, of the incarnation, God becoming man, living in our midst. It's, it's, it's a lot to grasp. But on the other hand, Christmas is pretty simple. It's about dropping the very things that hold us back and remembering to get caught up in the wonder of it all again. The wonder of God loving us so much that he would enter our experience to show us how much we are loved. So my question for us tonight, with all that's going on in our uncertain and anxious world, is what are you holding on to? What's, what's your blanket that you are holding on to, the security blanket that you might need to let go of? Maybe this Christmas is the chance to let go of, of one fear or another. Maybe it's a, a particular hurt or a, a particular pain that you've been holding on to for years and years and years. Maybe it's time to let go of a need to have all of the answers about faith, about life. 
Or maybe it's the need to look and sound a certain way. What, what is the security blanket that you are holding on to that you might need to let go of? As you hear those words, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be for all people. Whatever it might be for you, and we all have something, whatever it might be for you, Christmas is a reminder to embrace the truth, the truth that God loves us enough to send his son into our world. That's why we celebrate tonight. That's why we sing tonight. That's why we light candles tonight. Let's pray. Loving God with all that comes with Advent and the the Christmas season, help us to remember that above all else, you love us. Lord, we pray these things in your name. Amen.